This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. Kenan Bond was in his third year of student ministry when he met Roy Campbell. Kenan loved God and the students, but he didn't have the necessary training, knowledge, or maturity to lead. This became so convicting that he told the pastor at his church that he might not be the guy for the job. Other guys could do it better. He was spiritually dry, struggling with his walk with Christ, and questioning his call into ministry. Roy, also known as Soup, took Kenan under his wing, and the rest is history. This part of Kenan's story, the beginning, is essential for understanding his life and the ministry he started, Downline Ministries, based in Memphis, Tennessee. Here's Kenan on how God used Soup Campbell to change his life. So, I mean, I was just at a hard place, and um, the pastor understood where I was and uh, encouraged me to invite some different leaders in our community to speak, and the first one that came, that I invited to came, was Soup Campbell. He's an inner-city ministry leader in our community, kind of an urban legend in Memphis, like everybody knows of him, even if they don't know him. And I've uh, been here for 30 years, ministering faithfully in, in probably the most difficult neighborhood in our in our entire community, under-resourced, underprivileged, crime, those kind of things. And and he's just been a, a, a staple of the gospel that is God has used to hold that community together in so many ways and bring healing and hope. And and so he came, and he spoke that that uh, that very week uh, out of John 15 to our juniors and seniors in high school. And um, he was talking about what it meant to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in you and the fruit that that necessarily produces. And I'm sitting there listening, as, and I'm just eating it up like I'm the only one in the room. And I went up to him afterwards, and I was uh, just just kind of poured out my soul of how much I'm struggling and to do these the very basic things of, of being a Christ follower and, and that I didn't really know where that left me and, and maybe I shouldn't be in ministry. And does he have any time where I could learn from him uh, more and uh, as our story goes, you know, I was probably, you know, uh, emotions were running high. I was pouring a lot out. He told me to take a deep breath, um, and he gave me his address, and, and I'm sorry, his phone number, and told me to call him the next morning. So I did, and it uh, turned out he was right in the middle of something. He told me to call him in a week, and I did, and then he told me to call him in a month. And at this point, I thought he was probably just blowing me off. Um, I was a bit discouraged, but a month later, I called him. And he, uh, at that point, he gave me his address and told me to come out at 5 a.m. the next morning to his home. And so I didn't know what in the world I was getting into, but I drove out there at 5 a.m. the next morning. Um, he lives in the hood in Memphis. He, he calls his house the, the Taj Mahood. My name is Roy Campbell. My nickname is Soup. Uh, he was hired on the, at that church as a youth minister. And so invited me to come and teach at one of their classes of their youth one evening, so I came with my family and talked, and uh, I think the teaching really grasped his attention, and afterwards he comes and asks me, hey, can I get some time with you? And I had my family with me and stuff, and plus, I, at the same time, I know young guys a lot of times come with a lot of zeal, and uh, they, they, they think they want to be in a disciple-making relationship. And so, and, and a lot of them don't realize and really truly understand what that means and the dedication and the commitment, especially if you're going to make disciples after the biblical standards of Jesus. And by Jesus uh, coming in a culture 
where you had ta- rabbis and Talmud and rabbi disciple, and it means a lot of with me time. It means uh, completing your assignment. It means meeting a person uh, when you call him to meet you and those kind of things. Yeah. So I want to make sure he really, really was up for this. So I told him call me in a couple of weeks, and uh, so he did. Then I said, well, call me in another couple of weeks. He did. And then the last time he called me, he says, I'm not trying to worry anything, but I just want to get time with you. So I said, hey, meet me on my porch at 5. He thought it was talking about 5 p.m. And I said, no, 5 a.m. And this was uh, probably around 13 or 14 years ago, and I had moved into Binghampton, a very urban community there in Memphis, and at that time, very uh, tough community. And so, sure enough, he shows up, and I'm sitting on the porch in the rocking chair, and I said, uh, young man, I don't really care about uh, how much you know and and just a whole lot uh uh, you know, where you came from and stuff. But the main thing I want to know is uh, if you can be faithful, I'll show you how to be a, a man of God. So uh, he took the challenge on, and we began this journey together. You're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples who make disciples of Jesus. Today's episode is Kenan Vaughn's story. Kenan is the president and founder of Downline Ministries, which is committed to training church leaders in biblical disciple-making. To learn more, visit downlineministries.com. The end goal of Downline Ministries, in the spirit of a true parachurch in Kenan's words, is to come alongside the church and to help those who would like to strengthen their culture of discipleship by providing discipleship training to leaders. This all really started with Soup Campbell when he asked Kenan to call him in order to get together. Each time Kenan called, Soup said, call me, and then he gave him another time to call back weeks later. So I asked Soup more about this. Soup, why did you keep telling him to call you again and again? Like, what was going on behind the scenes in your reasoning for doing that? Well, 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, uh, when Paul has Timothy there and he says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same things... Uh, commit or deposit to faithful men who shall be able to teach, uh, make the emphasis, others also. And uh, the commandment in that text, uh, commit or deposit, uh, is a command, and it's a banker's term, so it means deposit into faithful men expecting a return. So I wanted to see if he's faithful. So what some of that was a test of faithfulness, to see if he would continue to pursue. And in Jesus' culture, you had disciples who pursued the person whom they think could help them walk in victory and could help them grow. In our culture today, in the westernized culture, it's like these young guys sit back and almost like their first-round draft pick and disciple into something and wait for an older man to come after them. Well, that wasn't the biblical culture of disciple-making. You pursue someone who you believe can live victory before you and teach you how to do it by walking with them. And see, I've been with my disciple for 28 years. That's Brother Herb Hodges. And I pursue his time, and I get whatever time I can with him by driving him places and find out where he's speaking, and we travel overseas. So we, in 28 years, have been together face-to-face, up close and personal, over 29,000 hours together. So it's a pursuit. So I wanted to see if he had that in him to pursue, and he did. So I pulled up to this uh, to this duplex there in the hood, and uh, 
soup was standing in the front yard, and I, I honestly, I had a lot of fear. I, I just remember thinking, what am I doing? And, and I got out and approached soup, and he didn't really exchange any pleasantries. He just had me sit down on his front porch. He's got a concrete front porch there. Um, and uh, I sat down, and first words out of his mouth were, you know, you and I come from uh, two very different worlds. Um, looking around, I said, yep, I can see that. And he said, but I don't care how smart you are, and I don't care how talented you are, but if you can be faithful, I'll show you how to be a man of God. Um, And I had never had any Christian or godly man give any kind of invitation like that into my life. Um, I actually lost my father when I was in high school. He died of brain cancer when I was 16. And, And Dad was a great man, but he was not a very spiritual man at all. You know, a principled, disciplined, hardworking but but just not a not a church man, not a not a spiritual man, um, and so I'd never really seen that, been around it. Certainly, I had never had a man say anything like Soup said, which was this invitation to really follow me as I follow Christ, if to put it in Paul's language. And so I was emotional on Soup Sports that morning. Uh, didn't really know why at the time, but later realized it was because. I had been desperate for somebody to say something like that to me for 10 years of professing Christ, but I didn't even know what to ask for. And uh, from that moment forward, Soup, what I would say biblically, as as defined by the Bible, he discipled me. He invited me into his life. We had a life-on-life relationship. It wasn't just a Bible study. It wasn't just accountability. It was all those things. But we did just did life together. Um, We'd study the Word on Tuesdays from 7 to—I'm sorry, from 5 to— 10 in the morning, like we just linger in the Word and study all morning, and then um, I'd hang out with him each week, from meals at his table to ministry in his neighborhood to trips he was going on to just hanging out, watching games, or praying together. Like, I just got to be with this man who intimately knew and follows Jesus, and it was so palpable and powerful for me that naturally I began to reconsider my entire ministry in, uh, to these students, thinking, you know, they don't really just need the fancy program and the message that I give them on Sunday nights. They they need men and women in their lives like soup that really can show them how to follow Christ. And I began to see that not only in my own experience but in the Word. I thought, gosh, this is this is kind of what Jesus did. He invited these guys to follow him. It wasn't just he didn't just trust the synagogue preaching to radically transform people's lives. It was this invitation to personal relationship. And so that that just became obvious to me. And at the same time it became obvious, I was deeply saddened by what I saw in the church, which was very few men and women intentionally discipling the next generation, or, or anyone for that matter, or even their children in their homes. Kind of no idea how to raise your kids in the training and instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians says. Um, and so I was asking leaders in our church if they would help disciple students, and I was constantly getting two, two uh, questions in, in return. One was, you know, what does that mean? In other words, there seemed to be no real understanding of what, what it means to make disciples, and this was among our leaders at a, at a very large, influential church in Memphis. And then the second question they would say, or, or, or response at least, they would say is, you know, I don't have any formal Bible training. I, I don't really think I could do that. And those those were just alarming. Like, our strongest leaders don't have any idea what, what we mean by making disciples and don't feel like they have any have enough biblical training, even having sat in our church and been in Sunday school classes or whatever else. Um, and so I didn't have any immediate plan with that. It just kind of ached over the reality in our church. I shared it 
with soup one morning, and he said, why don't you talk to some other pastors in town of uh, churches that are, you know, perceptively healthier, influential churches, and ask them how they're doing it. Maybe you can learn something from what some other churches are doing. And so in 2000 and, um, 2003, I interviewed 11 different uh, pastors, I'm sorry, 12 different pastors, um, including our own, and I uh, just asked them, what is the game plan exactly here for equipping our people to make disciples in their home, in their church, and in their community, following the, the model and mandate of Christ? Like, what's the plan? And, and to make a long story short, Chad, it was just 12 pastors that really said, either we don't have a plan or our plan's not working because we don't have people that are maturing and in their maturation turning around and intentionally discipling the way soup is with you. That's just, we don't see it almost anywhere. And um, that was hard to hear. I was just discouraged. And I went back to Soup with that. Um, and I remember saying to him, Soup, we got to do something. And uh, Soup's famous response was, who's we? You know, and, uh, you know, he was discipling me and just faithful to what God had called him to do, discipling uh, folks in the in his neighborhood and serving as an elder in his church. And But he, uh, you know, he said, and he did say, hey, he knew I was passionate and, you know, the the wheels were turning, and he said, look, before you go off and do anything, you need to bathe. Uh, his specific quote was to bathe that mug in prayer. Um, and so I, uh, we just, we did. In 2003, we began to pray that God would bring a restoration of biblical discipleship in and through the local church. And uh, that would ultimately become the tagline of Downline Ministries. That's how Downline began. That's the heartbeat of it, just to be a resource for churches that want to be uh, really want to be healthy in terms of having a culture of, of uh, disciple-making going on in the church. What's it been like to watch him grow from that day that he met you at 5 a.m. on your porch? Man, Ken and Vaughn is tenacious. I mean, he he just gobbles up the Word of God. He, he He's disciplined. Uh, he loves people, and he's teachable. Uh, he definitely submits to the training and equipping and uh and he knows how to transfer that uh he knows how to operate amongst different cultures uh for instance i would just call him and say hey what are you doing nothing i said meet me somewhere and, and we're on a basketball court or we're in a situation and sharing the gospel uh hey uh what what you got going to tonight is seven nothing okay come over to my house so we're sitting down eating some turnip greens and you know some uh, chicken and pork chops and and cornbread, and he's there with me and my family, and he just becomes a part of the family. So that with me principle is the most one of the most important parts of disciple making. But if a disciple can't show up and be with you, then it really really hinders the process. Is there anything else you wanted to add about Ken and Vaughn's story? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, watching this guy grow is off the chart amazing what he's done i learned from him now you know there's some things i run across and i'm like man what does that mean so i call kenan and he teaches me <laughs> and he's doing a great job of pastoring that church out there at harvest you know he started downline ministries and then out of that grew harvest church and that's what should grow out of disciple making if it's done right uh the churches should grow from a disciple making movement if it's done right and uh and so he's doing a tremendous job. I am proud of that dude, and he is making disciples, and, 
and Harvest Church and Downline and Ken and Vaughn, they're making an impact on the entire globe from Memphis, Tennessee. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. This is a two-day conference specifically for you. If you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff, pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple-making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by Downline Ministries, which Kenan started. Their track is focused on women discipling women, and it's called, you guessed it, Women Discipling Women. Here's Kenan on why he's excited about the National Disciple-Making Forum this year. Well, anytime there's an effort uh, of the church and led, led by parishioners in the church, to raise the banner of biblical disciple-making um, to leaders, then I get excited. I just feel like it's near to the heart of Jesus. Um, I just feel like that you almost, it's almost like Merrick Little Chariots of Fire. Can I, I feel the pleasure of the Lord in this. Um, there's a sense of when, when that's what we're doing, just think, I think the Lord is so pleased. You know, when He gave the Great Commission, um, that's what He said, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're, we're rallying together to say, hey, let's keep asking the question, what does that mean? How are we doing if there's not um, a healthy, robust focus that's producing fruit in the Church? Then let's, let's not ignore that or dumb down the commission to mean something else. Prof. Hendricks used to tell me, if you're hitting bullseyes on the wrong targets, you're still missing. Um, and so I just get excited because it's the heartbeat of Jesus that we're talking about here. And um, and so to, yeah, to be a part of that conversation, to learn from these uh, men and women that have been disciple-making much longer than I have and far more effectively than I have, just to learn. Uh, because, again, it's the, it's the purpose of, of our lives in Christ. Register for the National Forum for Disciple-Making at discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. If you're listening to this, and Kenan's story in particular, and you're feeling distance, perhaps even alone in your discipleship journey, I wanted to make sure and share with you what Kenan Vaughn wanted to share with you about what you can do specifically through Downline Ministries to find help and guidance from their ministry. Has used downline to bring the service. I would just want churches and individuals to know there are some great resources available. Um, you know, downline specifically, the downline institute. Again, uh, you you do have to have that pastor recommendation. You don't get to do it um, outside of kind of an, a working knowledge of your pastoral staff, and the, so they're going to endorse that or not. Um, but uh, so we hope it could be a strengthening agent to individuals and churches all over the world. But just to know the institute's available, there's a place you can go to get just. I think top-notch training, and uh, then very, very practically, you know, there's the Downline Builder. It's a customizable curriculum online, just content that um, you can meet people where they're at. Uh, that's one tool, and then what what we're doing at Harvest, um, called the Gospel Journey. 
not to, you mentioned Randy Pope, part of our idea from this stemmed out of what they do. They call it the journey group, and it's actually where I was preaching yesterday or Sunday at his church. But um, but uh, that kind of spurred us to write something that's very, it's similar, but it's very different. But um, but another great tool where, where it's so simple. It's a bookmark that goes in your Bible. It gives you daily reading of God's Word, and you read throughout the week. Everybody's reading in their own quiet times, which just the fact that you're getting men and women in the Bible alone is a big win. Then you come together, and there's the um, and there's questions on the back that that you're as you read you're answering not questions just kind of general hermeneutic questions of observation interpretation application what do you see in here what questions do you have then when you come together what you're discussing is um, pointedly the word of God what are we learning about the gospel in this what are we not understanding so it gives you a great platform to be in relationship with others centered around the word of God and led by the Spirit of God which is bringing hundreds of people in our body into disciple-making relationships. So I mean, I just I don't know. I, I just would love people to know there's resources that help you with this if it's your desire. If you want to join the gospel journey that Kenan was talking about, go to harvestmemphis.org. For the other resources Kenan mentions in this episode, it's downlineministries.com. And now back to the story. So far, Kenan has focused on how individuals can grow in discipleship and disciple-making. But I was curious about one thing further, so I asked him. How exactly do you come alongside churches? Like, I'm thinking specifically outside of Memphis. What's your vision for coming alongside churches, yet training people through a parachurch organization? Yeah, that's a great question. And and by the way, I didn't mention one thing. We have these, you know, five other contexts where there's a live institute. Um, But we also have the institute available online now. So the whole thing, so really any believers could go through it in any English-speaking part of the world today could go through the Institute uh, at their own pace. So that resource is available at large. And, and your question is crucial because our we really want to fight to um, not accomplish this, as if that were possible, um, outside or apart from the local church. We, we really want to see the church um, take back the you know the stewardship of the commission with, with ferocity and tenacity in, in a healthy way. And so from the beginning... Um, we have, I had a pastor advisory committee of five of those 11 pastors, and it was, it, it was me asking them that question. And what we kind of came up with was that the pastors and the leadership of the church would nominate, however you want to say it, they would choose and send uh, influencers, leaders, uh, staff, whatever they wanted to do. They would send people through the institute. They would shepherd them through it. For a lot of churches, that might look like a monthly breakfast with an elder or with the senior pastor to talk about what they're learning to help them digest it, how they're applying it, because a lot of the churches don't want to over-control or programatize their training. They want to let them just just um, walk in it and begin living it out, knowing that that will multiply in the context of their church as they're discipling other young men and young women. Uh, some of them have made made a program out of, of uh, they've started their own thing, kind of a spinoff in their church from the leaders that are trained uh, just to contextualize all the training specifically in their context, and we don't control that. But what they do is they send them, they shepherd them, and all we ask is that at the end, at the end of the program, they would help these students have a clear track to run on, and how they can express or utilize their discipleship training that they got through Downline in the context of that local church where they're, you know, faithfully a member and a part of the local expression of the body, and to give us feedback on how we can better serve the church in this. Um, so naturally, 10 years in, uh, I had a chance to get lots of feedback and hopefully hone that process, but our, our values never changed. In fact, if, if someone were to hear about Downline, which happens all the time, 
they had a cousin go through it, whatever it was life changing, and they they email and say, I'd like to go through the institute. They can't just go through. They have to actually go sit down with an elder or their pastor, share share their testimony, share why they want to go through, what God's doing in heart, and then that pastor has to write us a letter that says we would like John Q here to go through the institute. We believe it could be valuable, ultimately not just for him, but in the life of our body. So everyone comes through the recommendation of a pastor, whether they seek that themselves or whether the pastors are proactive in it. So we are simply responding to the need of the church with an ecumenical, community-wide training vehicle that every church can tap into to help its leaders see, think, and breathe disciple-making and give them biblical handles. Uh, And honestly, I'll just say this, and uh, the few churches that have tried themselves— Sadly, I don't root against any church that's trying to be about disciple-making. I'll try to be the biggest Barnabas and uh, cheerleader they can find. But sadly, it's it's just lost its effectiveness quickly when it's been confined. And, and I can't quite put my finger on that. What I can say is, in the context of the Community-Wide Institute, it's a cross-section of the spiritual leadership of our city. It's black and white. It's old and young. It's men and women. It's such a picture of the bond we have in Christ. There's so much energy and we're learning from the most gifted teaching pastors, not only in our city, but across the country. So every hour is, I mean, just like a lightning rod to your soul and, and taught by practitioners who love you and are filled with compassion. And they're all, and there's the unity in the body. So it is a, literally is a life-changing and powerful experience that has been hard for us. We'd love to see it replicated in the context of individual local churches. We want to do anything we can to help them, but it hasn't been near as effective when it's when it's kind of lost the magic of uh, what's going on in our community. So in other cities, just just piggybacking on that, uh, we don't do a downline unless there are five churches in that community that all write a letter saying we would like um, a downline in this community that we can tap into the way the churches in Memphis are and and we'd like this guy to lead it. We think he's the guy that can kind of facilitate and, and, and help organize this. We're all going to throw our weight in as teachers. So we don't come into the city and say, hey, we're doing a downline. It is a response to churches to say we'd love to have a resource that helps our church strengthen its culture of making disciples. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. And I was going to ask about that, how you how you do it if there's not a group of churches. But what it sounds like you're saying is, the key to this is really the ecumenical nature of it, um, where multiple churches get together and bring different voices for the same purpose. That's it, and there is no other. There is no other way. The two things of expansion. This is why we're, we're waiting on the Lord. We're not compromising the Christ. You have to have a leader that's recognized in a community, trusted in a community. Um, he could be on the staff at one of these churches, or he or he could be a businessman, or he could be a a guy that wants to do this full time, and in, in, in which case he's going to have to be able to raise some support or, or be supported by these churches. We have both of those uh, things happening in other cities, but he can be the one that um, is will be like the one that's casting a lot of vision. But he's going to have to go to these churches and sit down and say, "Is this a felt need?" If there's no churches there saying, "Oh man, what an opportunity! We'd love to have that resource in our community." If that's not happening, there will be no downline there. We don't we don't do anything that's just the parachurch presence of downline uh, training leaders for the church who's not interested in that. Um, we respond to churches who think this could be a great vehicle in their community. We've got a, a beautiful testimony of what God's done here. It, it's a it's an absolutely miraculous 
story of what's happening in our community. And that's what I'm saying. If God wants to reproduce that, we want to be available to help resource that movement. But it'll have to be spirit-led conviction of, of pastors and leaders in other cities. And, and that's happening slowly but surely, and, and, and uh, we'll see where it goes. So we're kind of talking high-level, like citywide national discipleship. Let's kind of bring it down a little bit more um, to grassroots disciple-making. And I want to ask, what is the greatest challenge in your own story of personal disciple-making that you've faced in your life? Yeah, um, the greatest challenge of personal disciple-making. Well, you know, again, my understanding of disciple-making was birthed out of my experience, and I think by God's grace my experience was incredibly biblical. It was so much like what the original disciples got, and that they they were following a man more than um, you know sitting in a classroom, and and that's so so much of what I had. And so the challenge I think for me, being a, a normal human with all the same uh, tugs and responsibilities, with limited margin and so much to do, is really the same challenge I hear from everybody. I, I don't think that I've graduated from it, and that is um, I only have so much time and a lot of responsibility. So it's a it's a very intentional, uncompromising, prioritizing of disciple-making. Like, uh, if, if, if I don't uncompromisingly prioritize, then my life is ultimately going to be, it's going to revolve around building into young men. Like, disciple, that, that's not, it's not just what Christ has commanded and called me to and modeled for. It's the great privilege I have of, of, um, of following him. Like, this is, this is it. This is, this is the point of my life. Um, and so uh, it's easy, even as a pastor, that's, that's the ironic part. I've talked to pastors who say, I used to do that. Like, I was in college ministry, and we discipled, but now pastoral responsibility has strangled out my ability to disciple. And I get that. I feel that. Um, pastoring a, a, a growing church, nearly three years old, like, there's just there's a million tugs. And so I have to have uh, started with, obviously, loving, shepherding my wife. I've got four little boys. Um, how am I lead, protector, provider, disciple-maker in my home? And so, um, you know, just very practically, uh, uh, I get tons of life on life with my family, and I guard that, but I'm also intentionally in the Word. My, my older three boys, who are eight, six, and five, uh, right now, we we get up every morning together. We're reading through the book of Acts, uh, doing something our church calls the Gospel Journey that we've created, great resource uh, for disciple-making, and I'm doing that with my boys, and it's so fun to introduce them to their Bibles and uh, just to pray together. And, and gosh, it would take longer than this phone call, but my wife and I kind of have a whole, you know, game plan of how we try to really make sure we're intentionally discipling those boys. And, and so there's a lot built into our day that's focused around that. We have a lot of traditions that are daily, that are weekly, that are um, holiday, that are annual. And then, uh, and so, but from morning all the way to our nighttime routine, we're trying to display and, and teach and point to them um, the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. And so there's a lot there. Uh, and then outside of the, those guys, I've just um, always tried to have, in every season of life, at least a handful of guys. Usually for me, it's somewhere between three and it's been as many as 12, but I, I haven't done well. When I get more than six guys, I just really feel scattered and feel like I can't invest deeply with them. Um, so usually, like for me right now, I've got six guys. I meet with those guys every week. We uh, we study the Word together. Uh, we do some supplementary reading together. 
but they are the guys that have a priority in my life. In other words, outside of our weekly meeting, those are the guys I'm having over for dinner. Those are the guys I'm watching NBA Finals games with. Those are the guys I'm taking on trips. Like I was in Atlanta this weekend speaking at church. Um, I never go alone. I always take one of those guys. These are the guys that I, if I worked out, I would work out with them. Um, in other words, uh, I just just realized it's a great. There's a million people that could take up my time, um, but I'm going to go ahead and carve out for these guys. Then I'm going to fill in the gaps. And so, um, and as I disciple guys as they launch off and you know kind of grow from being Timothy's in my life to a Barnabas, so to say, then that kind of leaves a maybe a vacancy. And and I if there's a, if I've had a chance to lead a guy to Christ. Or if there's a young guy that God's put on my heart, I'll invite him into the group. So it's kind of a, a revolving door of young men that are closely in, in my life. And I can't even remember the exact question you asked me. Oh, the greatest challenge. So, yeah, the greatest challenge is just the uh, prioritizing it with the growing demands and responsibilities of life. Yeah, thank you. And if you were to kind of just broadcast your main message for the church today with regard to making disciples like kind of boiling it down to like to the meat of it, what would you name as your main message? If this answers your question, my, my, the main meat of my message would would be uh, uh, the joy of making disciples in response to the gospel. That I feel like we truncate the gospel um, with a kind of a transactional understanding of this is what Christ has done for me and this is what I've received, and then we kind of go on about our lives. When there's this response, there's this opportunity to daily follow Jesus by having a burden for the world and, and fleshing out that burden by building in a few who will build in a few who will build in a few and seeing the gospel multiply. And like it's the great adventure of following Christ. It's the joy of responding to the gospel. Um, that's making disciples, and I, I would love to see the church embrace that. Like... Uh, I just feel like we're sitting on our hands. <laughs> yeah, you're the, saying we're missing yeah. out. It's not just like yes. we've got to do it's, this discipleship thing. That's right. It's not a white. We need to white knuckle it. We need to be more doers. Um, that might be true, but I, I don't want to should people and guilt people into this. I don't think Jesus did it that way. I, I think there's something so beautiful. And uh, and man, and if you're in it, if you're discipling guys, you see that, you feel it. It's sanctifying in your own life. It, it, there's eternal joy. And you don't, you know, the, the people that are making disciples get it. Um, but I want to see the church be the church in that regard. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org. Make sure to register and join us this October for the National Disciple Makers Forum in Nashville, Tennessee.